0: Well, good morning. It's so good to be here with you at Forest Park. It's been a long time since we were here. As a matter of fact, when we were here the last time, um, we were on what's called deputation. That's when missionaries are called to go to a country, but they have not lived there yet. And God has given them a vision and a dream of what might happen. And what, so that's what we did. We came and presented to you our goal and what God had given us Uh, but not having done it yet and so you guys had enough faith in us to say okay we'll get behind you in what god's vision is for your ministry and we want to thank you for that now we're on what's called furlough which is when you come back after having been on the field to report to your churches that helped you out from the beginning and say what god has done and let me just say he's done much more than we ever dreamed god has blessed And everything that you're about to see in these pictures that I'd like to show you, I want you to understand when I say the word we or us, I'm including Forest Park. Because you guys literally, we could not have done any of what you're going to see without you. And that's the great partnership that we have as missionaries and churches. See, as missionaries, Jennifer and I could not accomplish what God's called us to do without churches like you who support us financially and through prayer. We're so grateful for all of that support. But here's the neat partnership part. You guys as a church could not accomplish the great commission that you've been commanded to do without missionaries. And so together, we're accomplishing what you're about to see. Even though you might not have ever been to Nicaragua, your spiritual fingerprints are there. And so I'd like to just kind of share with you who we are to start with. Jennifer and I were approved as missionaries with the Baptist Bible Fellowship International in 2014. Shortly after that, we visited you guys as we were trying to raise our support to get to the field and do ministry on the field. We attended language school for one year in Costa Rica from August 2016 to August 2017 where we uh, went to language school and I graduated at the age of 50. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And I left language school speaking Spanish perfectly that's a lie I I I got the basics there and then you have to learn it on the field in and where well, that's what we did at 90 of what I know of Spanish now that I speak fluently I learned on the streets of Esteli Nicaragua where God placed us and so um after that we went to Esteli straight from language school oh well let's go back one I'm still on those points there moved back to Esteli uh, or went to Esteli in Nicaragua, uh, Nicaragua in August of 2017, and we immediately began planting a church in downtown Esteli. Because Jennifer and I are missionary church planters, God has called us to plant churches, and so he's given us a huge goal of planting 20 churches in northern Nicaragua before I die. So that gives you another reason to pray for my health, <laughs> and that I live a long time, so that we can see that goal accomplished. Um, So I want to share with you the three church plants that God has allowed us in these last five years to at least begin. And the first is the most established and official church, and we'll look at it now. It's the downtown Esteli, our first church plant. Um, If you can go ahead to that next slide, this is some of the pictures of the epicentro. Now we call it epicentro biblico bautista, which is the Baptist Bible epicenter, right? And so there um, at the epicenter... We consider it that because we're going to use this church as the mother church, as the resource center for all other church planting, and which has already begun to happen. Uh, The people that you see in this picture, Jennifer and I use all the time to go out to our other two church plants. They help us plant churches. And God is already calling more and more young men and women to the ministry so that they can eventually become the pastors and pastor's wives of the churches that God is allowing us to plant. So this is the first church plant you see over here, our worship service. We have a patio out back that we do some adult Bible study and some kids area here. Uh, Jennifer's trained uh, Luce, the pastor's wife, and I've trained Osman, and he's the pastor now. We actually just installed him as the official pastor in September, right before we came back on furlough. So God's provided us. I've told the people from the very beginning, I am not your pastor, I'm your missionary. They call me pastor because I fill that role sometimes, but I said, we need to pray for a Nicaraguan pastor because my goal is not to pastor this church. My goal is to plant this church and then turn it over to Nicaragua National, and that's who we need to be praying for, and God supplied us Osman and Luce. I married them a year ago in September. They entered the ministry full-time with us for a year of training, and now... Um, we're still training them. They're still going through seminary. We're starting an institute this January with them and other students. And uh, anyway, we're still equipping them, but he is now the pastor of the Epicentro Biblico Bautista. Go ahead to the next slide. There's, uh, we've had to meet in many different places. Uh, we've rented in different areas. So this is another building that we had. And we uh, had a good-sized crowd that day in that neighborhood. Every time we've moved, we've lost a few people from that neighborhood, but gained other people in other neighborhoods. And, and so now we're in a, a location we hope to be in for a while, and it's at the epicentro. All right, go on to the next. There it is, our sign, and that is Olsman. He is the, now the pastor of the church that you guys helped us plant. And so you ought to be really excited and be praying for Osman and his wife, Luce, every day, because they need your prayers, all right? But that's Osman. He's my bud. He's 29 years old. Um, Luz, his wife, is 23, and um, they're a super, super good couple, and they're learning a lot. They had no ministry experience before, and so Jennifer and I have taken them under our wing, and we've trained them. We're with them every day. They're like our kids. They're in Nicaragua. All right, let's go on. So um, that's it. We started the epicentro, we consider that the epicenter of church planning, and we've already begun planting two other churches. Let me show you those real quickly. So, Bia Sandino is a Neighborhood outside of the main city of Esteli. People were walking 45 minutes to come to downtown to our church service. And finally, a family that lived in Via Sandino asked us, would you want to do a Bible study at our house? So we went out there, saw the potential. It's the fastest growing neighborhood uh, near Esteli. Um, and so we said, sure. We started and we saw the potential. And now this is our second church plant. We have church services out there, Excuse me. Every Thursday night. So we repeat what we do on Sunday morning in downtown. Same message, same music and everything. We take it out and we do it on Thursday night in via Sandino. Here's some more pictures. You can see uh, Jennifer there teaching the kids. Olsman's leading a Bible study. And then over here, this is the house that we meet in uh, for our adult service. And it's very rough and rustic. We actually have the money to purchase land, but we've not yet identified a good plot of land yet God has provided. Um, But we still need to raise the money to purchase a bill or to build a building once we purchase that land this coming year is our goal. All right, go on to the next. This is San Nicolas, and this is our most recent church plant, and it's out about an hour and a half from our house. Jennifer and I, every year around Christmas, We'll go out to San Nicolás. Why? Well, it's up in the mountains, and it's cool. The only difference in temperature in Nicaragua is elevation. So we live at about 3,000 feet elevation, so it's not bad, but you go up to 4,000, you know, 4,500 feet, and it gets cooler, right? And so we go up there on Christmas Eve almost every year, and we, identif- we, we were at a, a little lookout, and we saw the town of San Nicolás, uh, four years ago, and we prayed, God, if you would allow us, we'd love to plant a church someday in this area. So, um, fast forward a little bit. When we were marrying um, Luce and Olsman a year ago, we, they needed an apartment. So, we built out a couple of rooms that we had in a building, and I needed help, and Luz told me, my dad, he can come and help you. He's in construction. His name's Christian, but he isn't one. She said, he's uh, pretty rough around the edges, but he's a good worker. I said, it sounds like my kind of guy. So I called him up, and he said, sure. So he spent the night in the church for about three weeks, and every morning we worked together in constructing, putting ceramic tile down, ceiling, lights, electric, all that. I'm not that great at it, but with some, I was his helper. Uh, and like I said, Christian, he, he was rough around the edges. I learned a lot of new Spanish words. Um, LAUGHTER And uh, anyway, after three weeks spending every day with him, uh, it was pretty cool, because at the end of his time working there, he said, would you want to come out to my house and have a Bible study? It surprised Luce like crazy. She she couldn't believe that he asked me to do that. And so a few, about a month later, we finally made it out there, uh, had a Bible study, and he accepted Jesus Christ at the very first Bible study. And so did his other daughter. Amen. And so did his niece. So at that first little bible study with just his family three of his family accepted christ and it was so cool and then right after that he said hey uh the same day he said let me walk you up here right next door to me and my land is some land available i think that would make perfect for a church and so we walked up the hill and looked at this piece of property and I can, I'm happy to say that about three months ago, we purchased that property finally. And so I'm gonna show you a couple of pictures out here. These are some of the big activities we've had. Um, this is a one-day VBS. All those children in the picture, including the, the child there in the wheelchair, accepted Jesus Christ that day. We had 20 in all that accepted Jesus Christ at that one-day Bible school. Over here is Christian's house, and that's where we had a big event. As you can see, a lot of people showed up, and four people accepted Christ at that. Uh, So we have now contact in this area. People know who we are, and they know our goal is to plant a church. And now they know that we've bought property, and we're going to be building a building. We have the money. We bought the property, and we have the money to build the building. So God has provided all of that. And so this year should be a very busy year for us as we go to San Nicolas and uh, really put a, a footprint down for a Uh, new church plant so be praying for us there go on i'll show you this is the land that we bought up here in the top left is the outside it's already got a nice fence and and gate to go over it (coughs) excuse me this is a tiny little house that comes with it so our goal for that is to there's nothing in it it's just two rooms there's no water no like well there was a one light bulb and an outdoor porch light but there's no plumbing so we're adding a bathroom onto this left side that's the septic tank that now is completed so jennifer and i can actually go out a couple of nights a week spend the night out there and get to know the community and really minister to those people to plant that church and that's the goal for that little casita tiny little house all right All right, we'll go on to the next uh, picture there. That's Osman and Luz. Uh, They are now the pastor and wife, pastor's wife of the Epicentro Biblico Bautista. Please keep them in your prayers because they are, while Jennifer and I are here, they're doing everything that we normally would do. They're ministering not only at the Epicentro, but they're going out every Thursday night to do the service there. And they're uh, still assisting on the work out in San Nicolas. So they're very busy and we can't wait to get back with them November 30th Lord willing that's when our flights are planned to go back to Nicaragua we're here just for a couple of months 14 churches to visit and uh you're one of them and we're so glad that God brought us your way so um that's us uh, that's uh Yasser and Isaac they've also been called into full-time ministry Yasser is on staff with us now as a youth pastor, so full-time, and he's being trained. He'll start institute this January, and he's he's 15, and he's in high school, but at a retreat, he said, I want to serve the Lord with my life. I want to surrender to full-time service, so pray for them. All right, and I'll just end with these big three. Would you pray for these? Uh, pray for Oldsman and Luce as they lead the downtown church to growth and for Yasser and Isaac as they train to become future pastors and pray for more to be called because the harvest is white and it's plenteous but the laborers are few. Uh, for us to raise a setup cost for the new Epicentro training facility since we're starting that epicenter training facility the institute um, God's already provided 3000 of that 10000 but we're still trying to raise more to buy computers and chairs and tables and things, desks Uh, material, resources, Bibles, books, and all that comes up to about $10,000. And then us to raise the funds to build a church building in Via Sandino. As I mentioned, we have the money to purchase the land. It's just we're going to need money to build whenever we get that land soon. So those are some things you can be praying for our ministry about. And I want to again say thank you so much. Forest Park, you're one of our our main supporters are our, our largest one of our largest supporters as far as financially monthly and uh, we couldn't do what we do without you so thank you so much for your participation in our ministry we love you so um you see this bridge behind me that's pretty scary looking in it it's a foot bridge in honduras um This is not the bridge that we had to cross. The one we had to cross is much worse. That looks like the Golden Gate Bridge compared to what Jennifer and I crossed one day. Let me explain what was going on. Before we started, see, I was a pastor for 23 years. All right, so I started pastoring when I was 23, and then at the age of 46, God called me to switch everything up. I never thought he would. I I thought I'd be pastoring until the day I died. As a matter of fact, it was a running joke with the people in my church. I said, my dream is to die preaching in the pulpit at 99 years old at this church. And they would laugh like you kind of just chuckled. And then I got to thinking, but that would be a nightmare for them that day, wouldn't it? But anyway, so I thought I'd pastor the rest of my life, but then after taking many missions trips and God just pulling our heart, he, he finally called me at the age of 46 to go to Nicaragua. But before that, as a pastor, I led over 200 people in our church on missions trips mostly to Nicaragua and Honduras. So before Nicaragua came Honduras and we did extreme missionary adventures where we literally backpacked with all that we had on. We backpacked up mule trails and and trails up into the mountains to villages that you could get to no other way. And on one of these particular trips Jennifer was with me and there was another lady and about four other guys and we had had to work out for these trips. We had to get prepared physically because they were rough and we were hiking. Well, this particular day, we planned on hiking about 12, 13 miles up in the mountains of Honduras to a little village called La Jolla. We had a local pastor with us who knew of the the village, but no one had ever visited it from outside of, of Honduras like us, like gringos, you know, had never been there before. And so we put on our backs everything we needed, our tents, our, our uh, food, our water, our filter or filter water. And then we hired a mule and we put film equipment to show the Jesus film. And uh, we had the big tarp to show the film on and on. So we hiked and hiked, hiked while well, it was during rainy season. And during rainy season in Central America, it, it's really a rainy season. And it was very rainy that day. It was muddy. It was hard. we had hiked about probably seven or eight miles of the 13, about halfway through. And we started hearing rushing water. Now, typically, the rivers there, you just wade through, right? And the small streams are pretty simple. But as we were approaching, we heard a lot of water. And as we got close, we saw that this particular river that normally we would have probably waded through about waist deep was swollen with all the rainwater. It looked like a whitewater raft, you know, type of a thing. There was no way to walk across. There was just no way. So we started asking some locals as we saw them on the trail, is there a way to cross this? We have to get to La Jolla. And they said the only way is the footbridge just up the way to follow this trail. So we followed this trail and we got there and we looked up and you had to go up this muddy slope and then over a little footbridge that was only about this wide. It looked worse than that. The boards weren't running vertically like this. They were running horizontally or perpendicular, right? And they were just not attached. They were laid on top of cables. And there wasn't that many of them. Some were old and some were cracked, and they were spaced out, and when you stepped on them, they would move on that cable. Well, at that point, we weren't sure. We just looked at it and said, man, I'm not sure we can do this, and Jennifer said, Max, I'm not doing it. (laughs) I said, honey, I I don't want to either, but I'm not sure what what else to do. Um, I know, so With XMA, Extreme Missionary Adventures, they always sent a a North American guide who had been in Honduras before with us, but he had never been on this trip, this type of trip. His name was Wally. He was about 60 years old in good shape and I said I know what we'll do Wally you go try it out (laughs) so we're all standing down there and Wally he makes his way up the slippery slope and he starts onto the bridge and he takes three steps on and he falls through it breaks the board breaks he falls through hits the muddy slope we run over to catch him just before he goes into the rushing water our nerves were shot Jennifer looked at me and said Max I am not crossing that bridge and she begins to cry I said, well, honey, let's get together. Let's pray because I think it's really the only way across. And while he said, my mistake is I stepped in the middle of the board. I think if we step where the boards are supported by the cables, we'll be okay. Well, we prayed and we asked God for help and faith and courage and uh, sent people across. Jennifer and I were going to come by, go, go, go last. And I kept her right here in front of me. And we started on that, and I'll never forget. The water, it was probably 100 yards long, this bridge. It wasn't just a short thing. The water was real high, only about maybe 10 feet below the bridge at this point. And we're going across, and as we would step, the boards would slide a little bit on that. They would creak and crunch, but I said, honey, just stay with your legs over the cables and I kept her right here thinking I'm gonna catch her I guess if she falls I'm not really sure but I just felt more comfortable with her right here in front of me where I could grab her you know well we made our way to the half point on the bridge and out of the corner of my eye I see something and in the river here comes a horse A horse that's being washed down the river. That's how deep it was. Just with its head above. And you could tell the horse was struggling. And it goes right underneath us. It makes it, there was a little bit of an an outcrop. And it made it to those rocks. And it stumbled up and it got out. And then we start hearing yelling. And we look and here comes a Honduran man who had been on the horse. And he's in the water. And he's bobbing up and down. And he's screaming. he goes right underneath us again. We see him go right by. And he makes it to the same rocky outcrop. And he gets out. And all he has on is his whitey-tidies. The water had literally ripped his clothes off. So now here we are on the middle of the bridge, not yet all the way across, and I have this thought. Oh, great. Local paper reads, pastor from this area dies and is found in white, you know, whitey-tidies in Honduras. I, I just thought that's what's going to happen, you know. And so we... We, we muster our courage, we get on a cross, and we're so thankful we all celebrate on the other side. We go to La Jolla, we show the Jesus film, we we're there two or three nights. Dozens of people accept Jesus Christ, and it was all worth it in the end. Now, here's the thing. Going back, we had to cross that bridge again. But I really can't even hardly remember that crossing. You see, it wasn't as nerve-wracking. Why? Because we had already done it once. We had stepped out with the little faith that we had, asked God to help us, and by the time we had to do it again, it wasn't that big of a deal. Now, you may never cross a literal bridge that looks like that, or what we crossed, but throughout your lifetime, there are going to be bridges that will scare you almost as much. In other words, you're on this side, God wants you to do this on that side, And to do that scares you to death. And as a result, some of you, unfortunately, will choose to stay where you're at rather than advance and do something bigger, better for God. You will not attempt by faith to do what God has for you where it's much better. So my encouragement to you today is to step out. And I want to teach you today what that looks like. How you can find the motivation to step out. For you, it could be a spiritual bridge. Maybe you've been coming to this church for a while and you love the church, you love the people, but you've not yet crossed the bridge of faith and accepted Christ as your Savior. You're considering it, but you're not quite there yet. God wants you on the other side. He'd love for you to cross over and accept Christ today and become one of of His children And live forever with him in heaven and serve him while you're here on earth. But you're just a little scared. What does that mean for my family, for my friendship, for my job? How do I navigate that and become a Christian? And so you're still on this side of the bridge. Others of you, you've been asked to serve in this church. You're a Christian. You've been coming as a member maybe for a while, but you see the opportunities around you to serve in kids ministry, youth ministry, a a small group leader, whatever. But that scares you to death. It might as well be that scary bridge in front of you because you've never done anything like that before. And so your bridge could be just stepping up to serve. Others of you, you you may be feeling a call from God to be in full time ministry, whether it's here in the United States or a a missionary like Jennifer and I, and. that really scares you to death. As a matter of fact, you're trying to ignore it as, must, as best you can. But God wants you on the other side. So how do we navigate that scary bridge? How do we step out? Well, what does it mean to step out? Let's look at the definition together. This is the definition that I came up with. It's my own. It says, to take action to risk personal security for the sake of others and danger. That's what Jennifer and I and our group did that day is we put our own personal security to the side knowing that there were people that needed the gospel on the other side. And so we crossed a literal scary bridge in order to take take them the gospel. So what did we do? We took action. We didn't sit there. We went ahead and moved and we risked our personal security for the sake of others that were in danger. Now, were they in danger physically? No, but they were in danger spiritually of going to hell, of dying without Jesus Christ and there's a literal place called hell that they would spend the rest of eternity. And that motivated us to go ahead and step across. But not just the idea of risk. And some of you might say, well, Max, I mean, risk like that? Is that even biblical? Well, let me show you this passage of Scripture here in Jude. If you'll look, it says, and if some have compassion making the distinction, he's talking about really loving people to Christ. He's just talking about being compassionate, them seeing something different about you, and you having the opportunity by your testimony to finally share your faith with them. That's the way we would all love to win people to Christ. But he says there's another type of person that we have to reach, and he says, some having compassion, making the distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. That is a pretty graphic image there, is it not? To pull someone out of the fire. Let me ask you a question. How close to the fire do you have to get to pull someone out of it? Close enough to be burned yourself, right? That's taking a risk. But it is worth it. Especially when we're talking about the eternal destiny of souls. So, yes, I believe this is biblical, to take action, to risk our personal security for the sake of others in danger. Jude tells us this in the Scripture. Some risk being burned yourself to pull them out of the fire, to get hurt yourself, to put yourself at risk. Uh, Also, Paul, he gives us a great example. He said, I've become all things to all men that I'm by all means save some. What does he mean by that? Well, if you read that passage, Paul's saying, you know, I'm a Jew, but sometimes I hang out and around Gentiles, and so to reach them, I act more like them. I made myself more like a Gentile. I talk their, the way they talk. I dress the way they dress. I address them in ways they would understand. Now, that was risky. Why? Because the Jews didn't like Paul doing that. And then, when I'm around Jews, he said, I act more like a Jewish person so that I can reach them for Christ. So he was willing to put his personal preferences aside of what he wanted to do, and depending on who he was trying to reach, he would adapt and do almost anything, do really anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus Christ, is what that's telling us. So yes, this is a biblical principle of putting ourselves at risk for the sake of winning others to Jesus Christ. Now how do we muster the courage? We're going to pray together, and right after that, I want to share with you three motivations to step out. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to be here at Forest Park, a church that we love, we know loves us. They've proven it, Lord, by their prayers and their support and their contact of us and staying in touch. We're so grateful for them, and now we pray. Whatever bridge someone is facing here today that scares them to death, they know you're calling them to the other side, that they would... Finally, step out. Take that first step and let you guide them the rest of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do we move out? How do we step out? Well, the first way is we must step out in love. Love must be the motivation, especially when we're talking about ministry and spiritual issues and winning people to Jesus Christ. Love is the key. That's why Jesus risked his life he died on the cross, right? He put his own personal safety at risk in order to win those and save those who were at danger, you and I. And so by his example, we do the same. We cross our bridge, although scary it is, we cross our bridge. And the way we finally get the motivation to do that is to love people, to truly love people. Now, if I were to ask you how many of you really love others, I'm sure you'd raise their hand, your hands, right? How many of you love missions and missionaries? You'd raise your hands because that's just, sure, it's easy to say, I love lost people and I want to see them go to heaven. It's easy to say that, but what are you doing to show it? See, what we need is not just love, but a higher form of love that's called compassion. Compassion. That's what we need. Because compassion is love in action. As a matter of fact, when you see the word compassion in the New Testament, almost every single time you're going to see the word moved next to it. Moved with compassion. The word compassion in the original language literally means from the gut. That's what it means. It means that something moves inside of you that causes you to react or to act. We see Jesus being moved with compassion. Didn't Jesus just stay on one side of the bridge? No, he crossed many bridges, scary bridges, in order to reach people for, for the kingdom of God. That's what God's calling us to do, and we must have love, but the love that's called compassion. Jesus had compassion on the masses, and that's why he did what he did, and that's why we must be motivated to cross the bridge that's in front of us, is by love. Let me give you an example of the difference, that moving inside. Let's say you're driving to work tomorrow morning and you're going down some highway around here. I don't know what they are called, but one that's at least, you know, 50 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour. And out of the corner of your eyes, you're getting up close. You see a little toddler in the median in the middle of the road, just in a diaper, let's say, that obviously got out somehow by itself and it's about to cross the road in front of traffic. That image right there, some of you might have even felt a little pain in your gut because that, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? What would you do? Would you just, oh, there's your kid and drive on to work? No, I think most of us would be drawn by compassion to stop our vehicle, do what we could to stop traffic, get over to that child to help save that child's life, right? See, that's the difference between just, I love children and then showing that you love children, right? I know that's an extreme example, but That's what we must have to motivate us to move. Because the kingdom of God is about action. It's not just about words. Look at this next verse. My little children, in 1 John, he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in what? Say it again, what? Deed Deed, and in truth. I don't know what your scary bridge is. I don't know where God's calling you or what he's asking you to do. Maybe it's to, again, serve more in this church. Maybe it's to witness to your neighbor, to finally walk across the street and invite them to church, but it scares you to do it. Maybe it's to give more financially to missions, but you're not really sure how that's going to work, and it kind of scares you. I I don't know what your bridge is, but it's got to be motivated by love. If you say you love somebody, that's one thing, but showing people you love them is completely another thing. So how do we step out? We must step out in love. Secondly, we must step out in boldness. Unfortunately, North American churches today are filled with Christians that are anything but bold anymore. Now, I'm not accusing your church. I'm just saying in general... In my experience, having traveled around and probably been in 300 different churches since we started being missionaries, in general, most churches just lack that dangerous Christian. I mean, the person who says, I'm willing to be bold for Jesus Christ no matter what this world says. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to obey Jesus Christ. I'm going to witness to my friends and neighbors. And I don't really care what the world says. I care what the Word says. So I'm going to live by the Word rather than the world. And that's what being bold is, is being willing to say, I'm going to do this no matter what. Now, um, I'm going to relate to you real quickly the story from Acts chapter 4. Peter and James, they're just good Jewish boys, right? And they are going to the temple to pray. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is that time period for the early church is forming, the first little, you know, church there in Jerusalem. And as good Jewish boys, they just do what they're accustomed to, and they go to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer. And now on the way in, they see a lame man, right? And this lame man has been there all of his life. He's never walked in his life. He's middle-aged, and he looks at Peter because he's asking for alms. He's asking for money, right? Because that's what he does day in and day out. Somebody drags him up to this gate and sits him in front of it, and hopefully people give him money as they enter into the temple. Well, Peter catches his gaze, and he looks at him and says, I don't have any money to give you. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have you, I will give you. Rise up and walk. Immediately now this is an organic healing. It's not this uh, sensational stuff you see on TV of people slapping people on their head and them kind of doing this and all of a sudden, oh yeah, I you know my back pain's gone. No. This literally this man think about it never walked a day in his life. He had no muscles in his legs. I mean, if he did, they were atrophied to a degree that there was no way that he could have stood. So literally right there organically that's the difference between true biblical healing that you saw in the old New Testament and the junk that you see today that's false. His muscles grew instantly, the tendons reconnected, the bones got strong, and he stood up for the first time in his life, and he walked. Man, what a miracle, right? Well, it caused a ruckus so much so that the temple guards come, and they say, what's going on here? Because Peter's preaching to everybody in the name of Jesus. Jesus did this, not us, no, Jesus did this. And everybody's just amazed. Temple guards go, what do we do with these guys? Let's arrest them. So they arrest them and put them in prison for the night. Now, you can imagine that the word got back to this little church that they were leading, Peter and James, right? And they were scared, I'm sure, for the life. Because just weeks prior, their ultimate leader, Jesus Christ, was crucified for doing stuff like that, right? Well, they meet them in front of the same people who crucified Jesus, the same Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders say, do not preach and teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter basically says, well, you be the judge whether I'm going to obey you or God. But let me make, make it easy for you. I'm going to obey God. And I'm going to keep preaching the name of Jesus. So they beat them and let them go, which is kind of crazy that they even let them go. Well, they go directly to the little church that they were starting there in Jerusalem after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter and James were the main leaders. They walk in, and I'm sure everybody celebrated Yes, finally our leaders are here. And then you know what they did? Well, the Bible tells us, they said, Peter and James, don't you ever do that again. You scared us to death. Don't you ever get caught doing that again. As a matter of fact, we're going to hire a security team for you guys. You're gonna, we're going to drive you around in black SUVs, and we're going to talk into our sleeves to each other. and Make sure that you're safe, because that's the most important thing, is your safety as our church leaders. That is not from the book of Acts. That's from the book of Max. (laughs) You know what the church actually did? I love it. Verse 29 of chapter 4. Check it out. Now, Lord, they pray. Look at their threats and grant to your servants safety. Grant to your servants that nothing like that ever happens to us again. No, 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 no. That's how we would have prayed. Right? When we pray, don't we typically say, God, just keep us safe. God, will you keep us safe? Keep them safe. Keep my kids safe. Keep my family safe. Give us traveling mercies. Keep us. It's all about, it's our American kind of culture. We've got our, our homes with our fences and our bat cave, you know, with a little button you open. You drive in, you never see any of your neighbors. You know, you're safe then, right? No, that's not how they prayed. And that's why this was the most powerful movement was the early church. They reached their world for Jesus Christ in about 30 years because of this prayer, I really believe. They said, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. We're going to keep doing it no matter what the world does to us. Man, if we could just have a few people really like that in our churches today. What a difference we would make. Yes, I know your bridge is scary. Whatever God's asked you to do, it's something new. You've never done it before. You have no experience at it, but God is calling you to do it. Please step out with boldness, with love and with boldness. We step out. That's the only way we're going to reach this world for Jesus Christ. And the third and last way we must step out in time. It's a time-sensitive issue we're talking about. We're talking about the eternal destination of souls. Will you do something with me? Maybe help wake you up a little bit. I'm going to snap, all right? And I want you to snap with me. Now, I have practiced this rhythm, so try to stay with me. Everybody that can snap, get your your snappers ready. Ready? Here we go. Slow down a little bit. There we go. Okay, you can stop. Every time you snapped, someone in this world died. Not because you snapped, that would be creepy. (laughs) Although, pastors, there's been times I wish I could snap my fingers, right? No, I'm just teasing. Just teasing. (laughs) But seriously, every .67 seconds in this world of nearly, I don't know, 7.5 billion people now, someone enters into eternity. Now, My Bible tells me that there's only one of two places that that soul goes. Heaven or hell. And if someone has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, then that snap sends them. That that snap doesn't, but they go to hell. And that's, that's the time sensitiveness that I'm talking about. There are people in the shadow of the steeple of this church who are dying every day without Jesus Christ. And so we've got to step out in time, folks. This is something we've got to do today. This is something you need to decide because, you see, the reason you're at the foot of a bridge that's scary, that God is calling you to the other side of is because he wants to use you in some shape, form, or fashion to win people to Jesus Christ because that is our ultimate goal. That is the Great Commission in a nutshell. It is to win others, whether they're next to us at work or at school or in our own family or around the world in Nicaragua to Jesus Christ but listen it, it it's something we have to do now it's not something we can say well one day when i when i you know get a little more experience or i feel better or yeah i'll accept Jesus Christ one day i'll just keep coming to church and see how i feel this out and all that no 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 the bible says today folks it is a time-sensitive matter. As a matter of fact, check this out. James chapter 4, verse 14. You know not what will happen on the morrow or tomorrow. For what is your life? He's explaining this is a perfect illustration of how long your life lasts. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Let me ask you on a cold morning, have you ever gone out and gone, and you see your own breath? And you go, how did that come from me? I mean, it's a big old thick cloud, right? But in just a couple of seconds, it, it just diminishes and it, it evaporates, and it's gone, and with no evidence that it was ever there. He says, "That's your life. That's how long your life is." Yeah, Max, I'm just a middle-aged person. or I'm a young person. I, I, you know, I've got a lot of my life lived. Well, first of all, you don't know when your appointed time of death is. It could be today or tomorrow. I, it could be for me too. We don't know. But even if you live to be a hundred years old in comparison to eternity that is not even a blink of an eye. That's not even a millisecond. And I'm sorry to tell you this. Maybe no one's ever shared this with you but it's the same for me. And probably a hundred years after your death no one will ever remember you even existed. I mean we're just, honestly I'm just an average dude. I'm just normal. I'm not some historic figure. So I And 100 years after my death, probably no one will ever think about me again. So this life, then, is all I have to honor and serve God with. And so that means the sooner I start, the better. Yes, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Start. Start that first step across that scary bridge for you. Because let me just tell you something, folks. The good news is only good news if it gets there in time. We've got the good news, but... ...for those people, it didn't get there in time. Let me just talk to those of you who are considering accepting Christ, crossing the line of faith and becoming a Christian that haven't yet when's the best time to do that this is not my opinion this is the word of god second corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 says behold i want you to read the words in yellow with me ready behold now. is the accepted time behold now. is the day of salvation so in just a moment i'm going to give you an opportunity to actually pray and ask jesus christ turn your life over to Him, start following Jesus today. Because it's just a matter of faith and just simply the, the Scripture says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead for your sins and you shall be saved. So I'm going to give you that opportunity here in just a moment. So please, please, please if you've never done that, do it today and then let somebody here know about it, okay? But for the rest of us, whatever your bridge is, let me just tell you today is the best time to start across that bridge. I want to show you a picture of African Impalas. If you can go ahead and throw that next slide up there. I love this picture. And I love this animal. I, I'm a documentary film kind of guy. I love to watch stuff. And I watched a documentary on African Impalas one time. And it was pretty amazing. These little guys, they're little, about like this. They are the only animal that can really give the cheetah a run for his money. All right, the cheetah's the fastest land animal. But these guys, because of their elusiveness and their ability to jump, now, listen to this. An African impala can jump 30 feet in one bound. Let me just give you an example of what that looks like. I'll start on this side of the stage, all right? I'll step off 10 yards, which is three feet per yard, 30 feet, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. So almost from this edge to that edge, basically, this big black box to that big black box. That's how far it can jump. But even more amazing is in the middle of that jump, they jump 10 feet high. 10 feet. So they're running full speed, cheetahs chasing, and they can jump 30 feet, 10 feet high. Like that, I could stand here and even jump. I mean, I I can't touch rim. I just get a little bit of net, right? So they jump right over me without even touching me. Amazing, right? But you know what really the most amazing fact that I learned in that documentary? Is that an African impala, even though it can jump 30 feet and 10 feet high, can be kept in a zoo by a three-foot concrete wall. It will not jump over it. Why? Because the African impala will not jump to a spot on the ground it cannot see. as I look at this crowd here today, I have to say I see a bunch of African Impalas. I see people who God has called to do something bigger and better. And yet, you're allowing a little three-foot wall of doubt. A little three-foot wall of a lie from Satan saying, you're not good enough. Who are you to do that? You're keeping that wall in front of you. And without faith, you'll never jump to where God wants you to be. So I encourage you this morning, let's step out together as a church, as a community of Christ here in this area. Let's step out and take that step across that scary bridge that God's called you. I don't know what your bridge is. I've faced them spiritually in my life, even literally, but I'm telling you, you've got to step out in love. That has to be the motivating factor. We have to step out in boldness. Don't worry about what other people say. Worry what the word of God says. And please, 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 let's do it in time you know, you're probably not weird like me and you've never really thought of your own funeral, but I have. I've thought, one day, what's it going to be like? Let's just say that, you know, I'm, I'm finally gone and this, this, let's say this is my church and Pastor Neil, he's my pastor. Maybe, probably something like this will happen. You know, if I want a church funeral, my body will be laying down here. Hopefully open casket so you can see my beautiful mug. And you know what's going to happen? A lot of people are going to say nice things about me on that day. That's just what happens at funerals. Whether you're really a nice guy or not, people say nice things about just your funeral. And I know what I want the pastor to say about me. As he looks down at my casket, I want him to look down and say, he's moving. That's what I want my pastor to say. (laughs) That means I'm not dead, right? But he probably won't say that. But he'll probably say some nice things about me. But then this thought occurred to me, what in that moment will Max Kennedy say about Max Kennedy? Because did you know Max Kennedy at that moment will actually be conscious and alive somewhere in heaven? And I'll be looking back over my life, probably watching what's going on down here, having wonderful thoughts and memories about my friends and family. But what will I have said about myself? You know what? I've come to the conclusion that when it's all said and done and we're at that point of death and our life is almost over, we will only be able to say two things about ourselves. I wish I had. Or I'm so glad I did. Which will it be for you? Will it be regret that you didn't step out and take that rest that God was calling you to? Or will you be able to look back over your life at that point and say, I am so glad I did. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? I told you I was going to give an opportunity to those today who have not yet accepted Christ to do so. And what does that mean? It simply means putting your faith in Jesus. A prayer does not save you. But what the prayer does is just say, God, I want to follow you with the rest of my life. Your faith in Jesus Christ alone is what saves you. And so I want to give you an opportunity just to pray something like this right now with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Make it your own, but just say, God, I want to follow you from this day forward. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. And I believe he rose again. I don't know everything there is to know about being a Christian. All I know is today and the rest of my life, I commit to follow you. Change me from the inside out. Forgive me of all of my sin and mistakes and errors I've made in my life and all that I will commit in the future. And I trust completely in Jesus Christ at this moment for salvation. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for accepting me as your son or daughter. Now give me the power to serve you. With your head still bowed and eyes closed, for the rest of you here this morning, let me ask you a question. And and nobody's looking around but me, right? So just bow your head real quick. And I'm not going to come up to you, I don't even know who you are, right? I'm not going to tell your pastor who I saw, raise their hand or anything. But is there somebody here today that would admit that you're standing on one side of the bridge and God wants you on another side? It's some big decision, some, some call that you feel in God in, in your life. And you just want me to pray in general for you right now. Is there anybody here that would admit, yes, Max, I need to step out. I need the motivation. There's something God's calling me to. Would you raise your hand real quick and put it right back down? Amen. Several. Wow. I'm right there with you. Many times in my life, God has brought me to a bridge. And it's so scary to cross, I understand. But listen, through the Holy Spirit's power working in you, he'll give you the strength to take that first step. Sometimes that's all we need is just to move on that first step. And sometimes that means talking to someone and telling them about this decision you need to make and asking their help and prayer for it. It could be your pastor. Sometimes it's talking to your spouse and saying, I feel God is calling me to do this. And I'm going to say yes. And I just want you to know, I need your help. Pray for me. See, our lives as believers are tied to the community of other believers that God's put us with. And so that's why discipleship is so important. That's why small groups are so important. That's why coming to church is so important. So the decision you need to make, I would give you this counsel. Talk to someone about it and say, you know... God revealed to me, he wants me to do this, I'm scared to death to do it, would you pray with me so I can step out, take a risk, put my personal security at risk for the sake of others? Father, right now I pray for all of these that raise their hands. Lord, I know what it feels like and I ask you to give them the courage to step out let them connect with somebody they love and let them know the struggle they're having so that through the power of prayer and community they can succeed for you. Thank you so much God for this opportunity to simply bring your word to the folks here today. Thank you for those who may have accepted Jesus Christ just a moment ago. pray that they would have the courage now to tell somebody here at this church, their pastor, at least after the service, just to go up and say, you know I, I asked Jesus I, I follow him. I'm a follower of Jesus now I, I took that step of faith today so that he can help equip you So, God, that's what we're asking for you to do so for them to understand. So that they can equip themselves to follow you, step out day by day. God, thank you again. Use this time as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.